Coming to you pre-recorded from a cramped closet in Las Vegas, Nevada, and a New York City apartment far too close to the street. It's your favorite millennials with too much time on their hands. Welcome to the Red Team Reviews Podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Red Team Reviews Podcast. I, the voice you are currently listening to, am TJ Patrick, joined as always by the Kanida to my Tetsuo. Trevor Catalano, that doesn't bode well for either of us. <laughs> You couldn't have you couldn't have gone with the sad one to my to my happy one. No, you're thinking the other way around. But also, that does work way better. Uh, it's the the happy yeah, one exactly. to my sad yeah. one. Us, <laughs> us being two head sides of one one if from Infinity Train is so much better. Uh, <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, at sidetracked as usual. Hello, people of the world. Uh, we've just finished May. Uh, it was May. It's not going. It's not gonna be May. Um, I hate that I couldn't make that joke on this podcast. <laughs> Cause I love the I love the Justin Timberlake meme every April thirtieth. God. Um, but yes, we are finishing out May uh, with our Rejector Renew winner, Infinity Train, and uh, Akira, which I. It was not originally to cap planned. Off our <laughs> Asian American Heritage Month. Yeah, we originally had another film to go as the as the part one of this episode, but uh, it came up and we were like, I mean, yeah, we're doing you know Ghibli. We might as well do some some other anime. Um, and I was like, I don't know what that is. I just looked up the poster. I was like, cool. Which apparently, TJ, according to your history, <laughs> is exactly how you started reading the manga. As you went, this looked cool, and then we were both wrong. I mean, okay, now hold on, because <laughs> so so here's the thing: is that this this time around, it's gonna be another one of those reverse uh, reversal episodes. It's gonna be a blue team episode because TJ is gonna be the one to go. Hold on, here's the backstory. I know more facts about this, and I'm gonna go fuck this because <laughs> I really was like, wow, I don't know what's going on. I I'm trying to enjoy this. Like, I just don't know how. Okay, so. <laughs> If we're basically if we're if we're jumping like right into it, here we go. History time. So, uh I was uh in high school. I think I was literally freshman year. I think it might have actually been freshman year of high school uh where I can't specifically remember if somebody said, "Hey, you should read this." Or if I literally just saw the spine of the book and uh, of the graphic novel, well, the manga of the manga and was like, huh, that looks neat. And then just started reading it. Um, I think it's literally that because when I was younger, I was way more into reading than I am now. I think this was like the last gasp of air of like me being actually a real like a real big like book reader. Um and I went out with a bang because I just randomly picked up Akira. Um, and I, like, I don't even remember being in love with it. I was just interested. And I was like, oh, okay. So I read the first one. And then I read the second one. And then I literally went through all six volumes of the end. 
For those that don't know, each volume, because this is going to definitely come up later, each volume is like at least an inch thick, if not a little bit bigger, and there's one movie. <laughs> so, Does the movie cover all six? We'll get into Like the arc that. of all six. <laughs> and that's a, that's, that's a thing. Um, but also I need to it preface- d- Does it or doesn't it? I, it's a complicated question. Uh, no, it's a simple question with a complicated I feel like it's answer. Not, I feel like, I feel like you could say no, but, and then get into it later. But if it's a yes, but, then uh, it's wrong. It's I mean, <laughs> I mean, I guess technically it kind of covers most of the stuff in the, in the manga. Um, okay. Let me, let me rephrase it this way. The starting point of the manga <laughs> And the starting point of the movie, are they the same? Yes. I d- yeah. I'm pretty. Yeah. The ending point of the movie and the ending point of the manga, are they the same? Technically. Okay. Then, yes, it covers the six volumes. It covers, very it covers half a foot of pages. It covers half a foot of pages in two hours without the context. And that was my big problem with it, is that there was a part of me that's like, look, I think some lore would have helped me, but I, I, I couldn't get it. I couldn't get the lore. The, the powers weren't that well explained to me. I didn't know who I was rooting for. Uh, and so like, it, it very much was just like, you know, I, I'm going to kind of now pass it to you unless, unless you have more history, because, you know, I think there's probably plenty of our listeners who don't know this movie or this, this franchise. Uh, so to you, for you to explain the plot to them, because I sure can't. Okay, um, the one thing I was really going to try and, like, say right from the start is that you have to remember, uh, and there's a reason I brought up that this was actually a kind of, it wasn't last second, but it was a kind of impromptu replacement movie for this episode, because if I had known in more of advance, uh, if I had more of an advance notice that we were doing this again, I would have probably at least tried to reread the manga because I have not reread the manga since again, like freshman, maybe sophomore year of high school. So it has been a while and Akira is a lot. So my memory might be a touch hazy. In fact, it's very, I'm not even going to be coy about it. It's very hazy. I do specifically remember though, uh, when the manga was way more fresh, and I found out there was a movie, I watched the movie, and I went, what the f- fuck happened? <laughs> um, because, uh, okay, here's the thing. Apparently, the movie was made in conjunction with, you know, the original author uh, before the entire thing was done. So, Game of Thrones. Uh, kind of, but in the, kind of, but I, like, that's why I said it does kind of end up in the same way, it's just the context is very different, um, and they make a lot of decisions which are a little odd, but knowing... And I, I did have to I did have to look up like what they did change. I looked up the Cinefix's video on like what's the difference? And I started to kind of go like, oh, okay. So some things do actually kind of make sense on why you would do this instead of that. 
a little bit. But ultimately, this is still a six-volume story being condensed into a single experience. And given the choice, you should always opt for the six-volume like thing that takes its time and fleshes out a lot of characters. There are a lot of characters. I will tell you this right now, yeah. Trav. There are a lot of characters that had way more in the manga and I would hope so. Don't I mean that's the have... thing is that was why this surprised me. This surprised me because it commits some of your cardinal sins of our reviews, which is they spend no time on most of the characters. Yeah. It um definitely does it goes the way of like drive by exposition. It kind of Right. It wants you to be more in the experience of what's happening instead of like straight up telling you this is this and this is that, which sometimes works like Ghibli actually is very good at that because the experience is usually way more important than the actual like plot. But Studio Ghibli also has a very specific pace that's generally slower so that even in quiet moments, you're getting a lot of character just naturally. So nobody really has to say that much about Calcifer or Nausicaa or, you know, Princess Mononoke, like, you know, anything or Sen or uh, Chihiro. Like, nobody really has to explain a lot because you get so many moments with them that you kind of are allowed to just organically go, oh, okay. And you you have certain opinions about these characters that become their character. Your opinions basically fill in the blanks. With... Oh, we just got a visitor at the door. That's so interesting. I, I love that. Um... With Akira, it's a bit different because it's okay. So let's just let's just dive into the actual. Okay, what is Akira about? Because that's basically what I'm about to do anyway. So Akira is in an alternate, you know, reality where uh, there was a World War Three. Uh, Tokyo, there was like a big explosion that went off in Tokyo in 1988, I think the movie said. It's the same year it came out, yeah. Same yeah. year it came out. And uh, this is, funnily enough, now in Neo-Tokyo, new, like, uh, remade Tokyo, in 2019! <laughs> <laughs> so that's fun. <laughs> It was like when we actually got to 2015 and everyone was like, oh, my God, back to the future. (laughs) It's I mean, it's it's funny because like when it comes to world uh, world ending threats, you know, you had Reagan when it came out and Trump when it really happened. So, I mean, the anxieties aren't that far off. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yes, it takes place technically in a post-apocalyptic setting. Uh, and can I just interject uh, just one little note that like the animation that they did for 1988 Tokyo was so boring. I'm like, was Tokyo really not that like crazy of a beautiful, like 
neon metropolis way back in 1988 to where it just looked like Charlotte, North Carolina. <laughs> I was really disappointed when they were like 1988 Tokyo. That's a town. <laughs> I mean, I really have no. I really have nothing to say about it, having never been. <laughs> I, this is, I mean, I'm being, I'm being facetious. Ah, but um, one thing I will say about the uh, art: Have you seen any images of the actual like manga? No, because it looks just fucking like it. Like it is literally the manga just moving with color. And it's just like, oh, you mean so oh, everybody's face and body is just a box? I mean, yeah, like, li- like I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I don't like that style. I really don't. I mean, I mean, you know, I, again, it is kind of the, it's the eighties. I don't have like a ton of uh, <laughs> expectation, um, and yeah, I don't remember really even when I. Uh, Oh, I so I looked up uh, Akira manga in the Google image search, and it's so funny because I'm looking at the first two things that come up for me are like the cover of the first and the cover of the sixth, the last one. And literally, the cover of the sixth is the climax of the movie. So I'm like, oh, they really did try to. (laughs) They really did try to just kind of like. Let's just chop out a bunch of the middle. <laughs> um, I'm so sorry. I w- yeah, I really wish I had fresher memories of the manga. Uh, so you'll have to settle for fragment fragmented me- memories. Um, so basically, here's the plot of Akira. Real quick. It's po- technically post-apocalyptic Neo-Tokyo 2019. Um... And you have Kanita and Tetsuo. They're in a biker gang. And one day, while uh, causing a ruckus, uh, Tetsuo encounters a child that looks like an old man. So basically, Benjamin Button. Uh, Oh, God. They are so... They are so unsettling you just (laughs) anime really brings out something in you that's not true though (laughs) it's not anime because if we were watching one piece like it's different this one i'm just like oh i don't like this this is not not what i would go to the same reaction to the ohm (laughs) well the ohm is a bug okay Like, anime does not shy away from, like, if something's supposed to look ugly, they're going to make it look fucking ugly. (laughs) But even then, like, I feel like, yes, he's supposed to be ugly, but also, like, give me something about him that's, like, because there's, like, ugly sympathetic. Like, you can animate that. This is not that. I mean, I don't know. I kind of uh, feel sympathetic. I know I felt sympathetic when I originally read the manga. And I think it's and so, worse like, there because they have a lot with lines. I, I don't. I also don't like Kyoko having makeup on as a child with old face. I'm just like ah, I don't know who. Uh, uh, apparently, looks... I read in some comment on the Cinefix thing. Uh, apparently, they are not actually children. Apparently, they are actually supposed to be old. It's just that they weren't allowed to grow up, and they are still the size of children, but they are actually 
old, but they have the personality and size of children. This is what we're dealing with here, people. <laughs> like, again, I'm sure some things were much more clear in the manga, so I just have to guess because I yeah, never really we got their backstories. It. We got their backstories at 150 of two hours and five minutes. So <laughs> like there's that. Um, so anyway, Tetsuro uh, runs into this kid. Yes. Tetsuo literally runs into <laughs> this old, uh, old kid, uh, Tak uh, Takashi. And, um, it's revealed that uh, he has powers and then other people also have telekinetic powers, uh, brain powers of different types. Like, I think they all more or less have telekinetic, but some of them specialize in other things. Um, Which aren't explained. Yes, but some of them are very really clearly shown. Like, uh, the girl child, uh, whose name escapes me. Um, Kyoko. Yes, uh, she has, like, telepathy. So it's like, the other two I know don't have that, but it seems like she's the only one that re can really do that. Um, so, yeah, there's these, there's those two kids, and then there's baby Elon Musk. All right. Which is the other one who who sits in a MODOK flying chair. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh it's also worth noting, plot-wise, that, like, while all this is happening, like, students are protesting the way the government's run in the city and it's very corrupt and there's like cult leaders who are calling for the end of days and this is all happening while we get introduced to these damn characters which is why it's so confusing. Yes, so basically here's the story. You'll find it's remarkably simple. Tetsuo runs into kid with powers. Uh, this affects him. The army discovers this when they go to get the other kid and they take Tetsuo too. They experiment on Tetsuo. It turns out Tetsuo is naturally inclined to, like, be able to deal with these powers. So they test on him and they bring out the powers that are kind of naturally within all of us. But certain people, you know, have the gift, as it were. Uh, meanwhile, they make the metaphor of, like, if an amoeba could think that the level that you think, imagine what you can do at your level, which was actually a decent explanation. But yeah. Uh, it's one of the few, like, actual, like, exposition dumps in the movie where it's just like, yes. all right, let's halt everything and just talk about this real quick. Um, so after that, uh, Tetsuo escapes. Uh, he steals Kaneda's bike. Uh, him and Kaneda, like, almost have a thing. They don't quite. They are actually just supposed to be, like, lifelong friends, so they kind of have a playful banter, but maybe it's not so playful. Um the army tracks down Tetsuo again, but this time is different. Tetsuo's kind of, like, gone a little bit further. Uh, so Tetsuo again breaks out of the facility, but this time he starts actively tapping into his abilities and starts decimating the fuck out of everybody. Uh, it is an outright slaughter fest, folks, and he looks to try and do the same thing. It's basically a su if Superman was bad plotline. It's Chronicle. That DC, yeah, it's Chronicle, it's Brightburn, it's literally like, it's the same storyline that DC likes to do all the fucking time. Like, I'm actually sure that Akira inspired Chronicle. It is like basically yeah. chronicle <laughs> uh 
Um, no, mind you, I have not seen Chronicle, but I know enough to know that's like, well, yeah, you know, that, that sounds familiar. Uh, so long story short, Tetsuo goes on a rampage, uh, tries to bring back the titular Akira. The plot twist is that Akira was actually long dead and bits of him are in like, you know, these, uh, vials, these like big uh, tubes being preserved in case people wanted to fuck around with that later. Uh, it's being experimented on, you know, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and then all hell breaks loose because everyone's just fighting. Now, here are the main big obvious differences between the movie and the manga. So apparently... Well, okay, no. First off, the biggest fucking difference is that, no, Akira is just alive in the manga. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> That's just straight up different. <laughs> um, But I underst- I kind of understand if it's a single movie, there's really no point to, you know, having him be there because in the manga, it is essentially Palpatine Vader with Akira and Tetsuo. So bringing Akira back is supposed to start an entire shit ton of things. It makes no sense to do that in a standalone movie that you know is not going to have any sequels. So, all right, understandable, still kind of weird, but anyway. So also the waking up of Akira and this soul battle that is essentially the first climax of the movie is like the halfway point in the manga <laughs> because Jesus. because uh, Neo Tokyo is basically like, you know, I think that explosion still happens and like a whole bunch of shit goes up in flame. Like it still like goes to shit. Um, but like we keep going with the story. So it then becomes, you know, uh, the rebellion with like Kaneda and K versus uh, Akira and Tetsuo, and it's like a kind of wrestle for control of Neo Tokyo. Um, that makes sense if you're doing multiple volumes. If you're doing a longer story, yeah, something like that makes sense. It lends itself to like more of a continuous story. Um, also. Uh, do you happen to remember that one woman uh, who was one of the Akira worshippers, uh, the woman with the big hair with the beads uh, on the highway? That's supposed to be a It was supposed to be a woman. Apparently, they did give her a male voice actor, um, which was odd. Not to dictate you know, gender, but like I had every impression that that was intended to be a man. Uh, and you might remember there's a pointed shot where, like, when people are slipping on the freeway and then, you know, excuse me, she's trying to, like, not uh, fall and then ultimately ends up falling to her death and all that stuff. Yeah. So apparently that woman, and I do have faint rem- I do have faint memories of this and seeing her specifically the first time I watched this and going, wait, 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 what? <laughs> because that is a very central character to the manga. <laughs> uh, 
where apparently that is one of the biggest people in the resistance to Akira. So, apparently in this version, she is a worshiper of Akira. (laughs) Which, I hope I am getting something wrong in that, because it definitely seems like, wow. No, that's what I got. There's Lost in Translation, and then there's literally you are on the opposite side of the conflict. (laughs) Um, So, if I am mistaken, you know, I take that on me. But... Uh, also, yeah, apparently, it also might be confusing as to why Kay is fighting Tetsuo really at all. Yep, it was. Why? So, so to clarify, there's this other resistance girl that the lead dude, like, falls for. At least this is how I interpreted it. And then the kids can use her as a conduit for their powers. But, like, why her? And why not just fight him yourself if you have the power to? It doesn't make, it didn't make any sense. Because, apparently again, in the manga, Kei is also like Tetsuo in that... Ray and Kylo Ren. It is like... They mentioned that, but I'm just like, God, they can't do anything for this? Uh, so apparently that same lady I just mentioned that was one of the main... is supposed to be like the main resistance person against Akira was supposed to be training Kei in that stuff to go toe-to-toe against Tetsuo. You're starting to also probably notice that I'm not talking an awful lot about Kaneda. <laughs> yeah, that's because... correct, because he didn't do shit in this movie. <laughs> in this movie, all he does is of... All he does is womanize K and show up at his best friend's rampage on his bike that apparently his best friend's obsessed with, and for for no reason that they explain, and start shooting at him to try to stop him. I mean, it's a kick-ass bite. It's a kick-ass bite, but, like, it, is it special bite. to Tetsuo for some reason? <laughs> like, it, is, was it his bike that he, like, won off it? What's the deal? And then also, when their other friend dies, uh, Kaneda basically just crashes the bike to send it to heaven with the friend, and I'm like, J- you're in a war zone, bud. Use the bike. I mean, I won't really speak on that last part, uh, <laughs> but... <laughs> um. So many things. I was just like, "What? Wait, why are you doing that? Why are you doing I that? Mean, why do I care stuff, about you?" The stuff with Tetsuo, Tetsuo, and the bike is a purely a jealousy thing, in my opinion. Like, it's purely. But he like asks like, people about it. He asks other people about it. In the way that like O.J. Simpson was known to like ask about Nicole Brown when after they were divorced. It's like he just asks about it. It's like his mind's on it all the time, and I'm just like, God. <laughs> Um, so, there's a lot, there's, there's a lot that's, um, very different that, like, the story of Akira as a manga is kind of interesting, because a lot of the characters aren't really, I won't go so far as to say they're not archetypal, because they're a little archetypal, but, like... There's a nice, there's a nice, like, nobody is fully, it's like what you said in the uh, Ghibli one, where it's like, nobody's like 100% good, nobody's 100% bad. There's a lot of that in Akira, and it's more so just about, like, you know, for some people, it is literally just about survival. For some people, it's about power. For some people, it's about loyalty. And it's like, 
it's interesting to see how things kind of play out because you kind of genuinely don't know, which I think is kind of what kept me interested because I'm like, I have no idea where this is going or how it's going to end. (laughs) Um, Well, yeah, I mean, one of the notes I had, because we didn't even talk about this character, there's this army colonel mm -hmm. who, like, has to report to the city authorities who essentially is obsessed with these superpowered kids and... I can't tell if he like cares for them or fears them or just wants to get rid of them. I mean, I guess he wants to get rid of them. They do have that conversation. But then basically when the government ignores the whole thing, he looks at the troops and goes, you're all pawns in a capitalist scheme of corrupt politicians. And I was like, you're right. And then he goes, I'm taking over. And it's like, you're wrong. Okay, no. (laughs) The solution to corruption and capitalism is not a military coup. Well, I don't think it's a, coup in the sense that he wants power it's a coup in the sense of like look there is an immediate problem (laughs) you guys want to fucking play politics right now and it is not helping get the fuck out of the way (laughs) he's basically but he's very much got that like he's very much got that like thunderbolt ross thing to him where it's like you created this like through some exchanging of hands like clearly you've been part of this experimentation a part of keeping these kids under wraps a part of like you know kidnapping tetsuo and you created it, and now you're sitting here going, destroy it. Like, that's uh, uh, without, and I mean, no one yeah. will stand in your way, and you will you will kill civilians to get what you want. Like, that's very much who this guy is. I mean, yeah. He's basically Willem Dafoe in Spider-Man. Uh, kind of. I mean, in, I'm thinking specifically of the boardroom scene. <laughs> yes, okay. Back to formula. <laughs> um, Because it's just... Like, God, I wish I wish this stuff was more fresh in my mind. The one thing that has carried over for a long time was that, like, there's an entire fucking central character that, like, fights alongside Kaneda and Kay that is just not in the movie straight up, and that's Chiyoko, who is, like, the big bodyguard woman who was fucking badass and took no shit. And I'm just like... I don't know how you would have done it, but I would have just loved to see her in the movie. Just, just wrecking shit, man. <laughs> um, it's like I Brienne mean, what of you're Tarth me is that Brienne like, of Tarth. <laughs> yeah, but what you're telling me is that there's just, you know, if we're talking movie reviews, there's just too much that they just left out of the manga and it wasn't done when this movie was made. And I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, shame on you. It was the 80s. Of course they were going to do that. But it just, to me, like, it just, it didn't help the experience at all to be sitting here knowing that this is an adaptation and knowing I'm not getting anything because of what they chose to not include. And so part of me was like, you know, even just, I, honestly, as as hard as it was to get, like, through two hours, because it's it was just, like, obviously it's a very violent movie. Yeah. Like, Tetsuo literally, like, like essentially disintegrates a doctor with a sweep of his hand and like there's constantly gunfire um you know in in saving uh one of the psychic kids uh, a character literally gets shot down by the police for no other reason than it's police brutality um and it's brutal and it's very bloody um people die in really gruesome ways um and so like that's already grating to watch but that being said if there was 15 to 20 minutes on this cult that wanted uh you know akira to come back if there was 
15 minutes on the gang dynamics and character dynamics. And then like another 15 minutes on like their relationship and it was restructured in order a little bit, I would have watched a two hour and 45 minute movie for a six volume manga. Like I would have watched a three hour movie, a Lord of the Rings-esque movie, if I got everything I wanted, if I got everything that was needed. And obviously, again, different market in 1988 and probably a large fan base at the time who probably knew the story already. And so, you know, we're working with a lot of disadvantages coming at this in 2021. Um, with not only the fact that like we have versions that do satisfy these these complaints and it managed to include nearly everything in the story in decently satisfactory ways. Um, and then there's this. And so that's definitely where I'm coming from. It was like there there's a there's a world in which I could like this and like read the manga and everything like that um, and appreciate it. But like just the movie with every with all the context of the world around me, it's really hard to like this. Uh, I just want to tell you something that <laughs> that just makes it worse. So, uh, I don't know if you remember in the actual the very beginning when they're facing off against the clown gang. Yeah, you remember the main clown guy? Uh, the one that looked like it was gonna be a racial racial caricature. I mean, I guess yeah. Um, he was. He looked like kind of a Mister Poe kind of looking guy. Yeah. Uh, that guy, that guy, uh, well, first off, his name is Joker. Let's just get that out of the way. Um, second off, uh, you remember Black Panther? Yeah. You remember M'Baku? Yeah. That guy's basically M'Baku in the manga. Okay. All right. Like, again, the guy, this is literally like. This is literally, this is what it must have felt like prior to getting all these other characters in the MCU when it was just the original <laughs> Avengers and all of us were sitting here going, and we're going to get Hank Pym and blah, 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 and he's going to be, and that's what that was originally. That must have been what it was like for everybody before we got to Ant-Man. And then it all fleshed out and they like, they really completed the picture and completed the Infinity Saga. And so like, that's not what it must feel like when th- these things are happening and you just are like, well, I guess you could tell me, but you don't. Like, I feel like this this kind of needed... This is not to, like, shit all over the movie, because it's a landmark movie, it's a historic movie, a lot of people really appreciate it. If they don't actually like it as a movie, they at least appreciate what it does. But I will say that I don't know, I don't, I don't know if Japan really does stuff like this, but this is the kind of thing that needed more of a miniseries. Like I get that, yeah. It kind of needed, like, do let's an hour say, per volume. Yeah, like something like an hour per volume of just, you know, some people may. Well, okay, I was about to say some people may go. Well, then if you're just gonna one to one do the manga in anime form, what's what's the difference? Why bother? We have the manga. But then I immediately was like, they literally do that. <laughs> Or they're supposed to do. They're supposed to do that when they make anime out of manga. <laughs> they do like take literally the story, and like sometimes they pad it out, or sometimes they cut things. And, well, yeah, you know, anime is known for padding shit out. Like, yeah, but that's literally because you know it's still being written. It's the uh, it's the age old question of. 
This time on Dragon Ball Z. Ah! Ah! Next time on Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> it's like And that's be- and just, that's because uh, the manga is like the manga's still being made, so they're kind of like dragging their feet on purpose. But now yeah. I'm like with Akira, if you have all six <laughs> right there, there really kind of is no excuse to just kind of like literally just one to one redo it. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but not even to then, say to do I'm it now. I'm not sure that this would play today. Yeah, yeah I don't think it would play to do today. It now. <laughs> I think it would play. You would just have to change shit. You would have to yeah. alter some stuff. They'd probably um, do live action, quite frankly. I see. I, I'm a weirdo. I'm a person that will never really turn down a live action adaptation or that kind of thing. Because I'm always interested in what artists can do with other artists' work. That's why, I, even though I shit all over Disney live-action adaptations, I will never say to just stop. I will say, no, but just do it well. Just do it interestingly. Do it with the right things. Because there is a universe where a live-action Atlantis would kill it would just it would just fucking obliterate our mind, our collective minds about how awesome it was if you just give it to the right people that have a passion for it that have a good have good ideas on how to adapt it or you give something like sword in the stone a live action remake but you don't just stick to how it was like you actually just take the general idea and pull a maleficent just like do a completely different thing than the original did because the idea was fine but you didn't quite do a lot with it or like a black cauldron where it's like this was a failure it on multiple levels it was it was rough okay now use the live action version to do it well like do it better fix the shit that you should have done the first time or maybe it just wasn't the right time or whatever and so, while all that is said, and I would never, like, directly, immediately turn down a live-action Akira with the right people, with the right people, <laughs> um, I would kind of want an actual animated version first, if that makes sense, like... I would first much rather see, like, updated animation using the, like, oh my god, amazing technology of today to do a lot of the same shit, not to replace the original, but to be like, okay, that's how we did it then, this is how we do it now, and it's just different. And also use that as an excuse to, you know, involve the other, like, 60% of the story you kind of cut out. (laughs) Oh. <laughs> it was like it was like I'd been eating how I've been eating in the pandemic and somebody suddenly said, well, you're eating salads for forever now. You can't cut 60 percent out immediately and expect me to go. Well, OK, it's not not going to work. You know, what we never told them is how it ends, <laughs> because I'm sure our audience is sitting here and being like, OK, you got halfway through telling me what it was. And then you told me all the things that weren't in it. So how does it end? I mean, I basically finished. <laughs> Uh, are you talking about both? Um, so yeah, 
just uninterrupted, tell us how it ends. So the manga is fuzzy enough that I don't feel comfortable saying this is how the manga ends. So if you're curious, read it or look it up. Be weird and just look up the spoiler. Um, in the movie, though, uh, Akira comes back from his collected, like, body parts. He rematerializes. Uh, and then Tetsuo fucking his power because okay here's what is actually happening in case you're lost uh tetsuo's power is growing so much so quickly that his brain and his body aren't enough to fully encapsulate it so it's you it's spreading it's utilizing technology and like trying to branch into whatever it can so that it becomes a big enough vessel to contain the power is essentially what's happening. And so he's but expanding. A, but he basically just looks like a grotesque, giant, fleshy baby. Baby, yes. Uh, it's really <laughs> gross. Um, like, I was sitting here like, what is this sudden? Because nothing so far has given us any indication of, like, techno-organics. Because that's like a thing <laughs> in other stuff. Nothing gave us any techno-organic. I just wanted you to say this part because I had a problem <laughs> It's I gross, I, and I don't I enjoy it. it. Literally, he squishes he squishes his girlfriend. <laughs> he squishes his girlfriend to death because his squishy body just explodes. <laughs> Which is very different from what happens to her in the manga. Uh, <laughs> very different. Um, the entire that entire that entire relationship is absolutely different. I don't know if there's even like scenes that are one to one the same. That's that's how different they are. But um, I mean, TJ, all jokes aside, I've stopped caring what happens in the manga at this point. <laughs> even though you keep saying this different, know, that's different. Just, I'm like, I don't care anymore. Fun. It's just fun for me to go like, oh, you know, this this thing. Oh, it was a completely different thing. <laughs> um. <laughs> uh. So I was watching this and it had been years since I had seen it and I was watching I was like damn I wish I could just I wish you could have just recorded your genuine first reactions to seeing some of the shit that happens in this movie because it's wild (laughs) and I just imagine you there befuddled yeah, no, I it got to a point where I, I mean, that's that's the truth is that like a lot of this gruesome stuff where I could tell it's like there's no plot happening. They're just animating this and everybody's shouting about the situation. So I just I, I, I jumped. I was like, OK, cool. I'm just skipping the gross shit. When's the next plot point? Because I was just like, I'm done. I'm done with this. I mean, I can't blame you as somebody who has like no connection to this whatsoever. Right. <laughs> For me, at a certain guess, point, yeah, it anybody, became... <laughs> anybody who gives me shit about the MCU and not connecting to it can use this to make me eat crow because I get it. I get it now. <laughs> Having no connection to it and being like, God, are we there yet? But even then, I still think that the MCU is still more engaging and clearer cut than this. Well, that's not really a fair comparison. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's true. Um, But... I like, like literally there were multiple parts in the end where I just started laughing because I was just like, oh my God, the insanity of what is happening. Finish the story. Right um, I mean, there's not much to tell. Like he grows and grows and grows. 
um, until, um, fuck, is it Akira that starts? He blows up the city. Akira, I think, and the other kids, uh, they, uh, basically shoot out this beam that starts regressing, uh, Tetsuo's growth, and they bring him back to a, you know, decent enough size to, like, do whatever they're gonna do with him, um... There's not much I can, like, say, because it's only really, you can kind of see what's happening visually, but explaining it is, like, uh, okay. Um, Because, like, there's this big orb of light, much like a nuke, uh, where, you know, Tetsuo's being encapsulated by the light, and Kaneda's, uh, I think, first running away from it, then runs to it because, like, you know, gotta save my bro... Uh, and then the kids are like, well, I mean, we don't want Kaneda to die for no reason. So let's go in and save him. Um, so they all also had Superman-y powers the whole time. And it took them the whole movie to stop the guy. <laughs> when they could have done it with the snap of their damn fingers. Uh, I don't think that's quite how it worked. I think uh, they literally needed to... That's how it felt. They, I don't know why... I don't know why, but they do say, like, we specifically had to wait for a specific point for him to get to the height of his power. They don't really explain, like, why they need to do that, but, I mean, they at least say, like, we have to wait until he gets to the height of his power. Then they bring Akira back, and it's like, I think it's mainly Akira that's doing this. And then they cut, all they did was bring Akira back, and Akira is doing this. And so then they were just going to, like, stay out of it until Kaneda got into the orb. And they were like, well, shit. I mean, well, now we got to go. And they're not sure if they can escape. But they know with the all of their powers combined, uh, they can save Kaneda. Uh, they do. And then I think the best I can kind of sum up what I think happened at the end is that Akira and Tetsuo, I don't know about the other kids, but I know Tetsuo Tetsuo and Akira, I'm pretty sure, became one with the universe itself. I'm pretty sure that's what happened. (sighs) And at this point, I would like to, okay, let me, the actual ending then is then, you know, Kaneda and Kei and Kai, which is, that's a whole thing. Uh, Kaneda, Kay, and Kai reunite, and then they drive off, you know, ready to shape this new Neo-Tokyo who, that's collectively seen some shit now, uh, guided into the future, whatever that future may be, and at this point, I would like to just say to all those people that joke about the Matrix or Inception being mind fucks, I need you to go watch Akira. <laughs> because... Matrix, Inception, they ain't got shit on this. <laughs> they cannot touch this level of what the fuck am I looking at. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I got so yeah. like a few more funny notes and then I'm good for this. <laughs> I mean, I'm... The only real thing that I have that I'll just keep coming back to is that, like, I remember, like, it's not nothing that, like, as a fucking, like, what, 14-year-old, 15-year-old, 
I literally sat down and read all six, so I know the story has to be good. It's not infamously iconic for no reason. It didn't warrant such an iconic movie for no reason, so I know the story's there. So my whole thing keeps going like, I just, there's so much to the story that I kind of wish didn't need to get cut. So that will always be the thing I circle back to. So I guess in that vein, I'm kind of done. That's like the only thing I'm probably going to keep saying. Uh, Other than that, animation was uh, pretty neat. Um, It's a landmark film. But you don't just because you're a landmark film doesn't immediately mean that like you're a perfect film. I hope people know that before they come for us and like all our, you know, criticisms of the movie. Like, yeah, but you can still criticize like fucking Citizen Kane. Like, yeah, of course, of course you can. <laughs> no movie is beyond reprieve. Yeah. So anyway, here are my takes, you know, beyond what I've already said. Um, you know, uh, I found it funny when the cop, when they were like, get out of here, old man, to the cop. And the cop's like, hey, I'm 25 years old. And I'm like, no, you're fucking not. <laughs> the animation and the voice styling. I was like, that guy's not 25. What the fuck are you talking about? Um, <laughs> Tetsuo gives me strong Shia LaBeouf vibes. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, oh, oh, wow. Yeah, no, you're Shia LaBeouf. Um, if this was live action and, and they were American, your Shia LaBeouf is playing you. No, um, it's, no, it's specifically <laughs> hilarious that you're saying it on a podcast with me on it, because when I was young and very dumb and very stupid, uh, and I didn't know shit about shit, uh, I thought about a live action cast <laughs> of Kira, but I had Shia LaBeouf playing Kaneda. <laughs> Well, here's the thing about Canada is that Canada is so unspecial. Like, well, that's yeah. the thing is that like, I'm not here for like, I'm not necessarily here saying that like all heroes or main characters need to be like with something that puts them above and beyond. But like, he's, it, it, that's not me saying that I need them to be special to root for them. He's just unspecial. Does that make sense? Where it's like, uh, I do. I actually don't like him and I'd rather somebody else solve this problem. Because he's like womanizing and complaining and like, like he was not winning me over with the whole calling her a bitch just because she walked away from him. And yeah, you know, it was those you know, kinds of things 88. where I was like, but even still, I'm like, look, this is your hero. Like, you know that he shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. I mean, he's supposed That's... to be like a not really likable hero. Um because he's the same way in the manga, but I think he has, like, somewhat of an... I don't think he ever fully becomes, like, nice or anything. But I think he tones down. Like, he and Kay, I think, genuinely have, like, an actual relationship or something similar to it in the span of, like, six volumes. Which makes way more sense because now you have the time to actually, you know, have a little bit of nuance and, like, moments to bond um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not going to really stick up for the way he acts in this either. It's just like, oh uh, yeah, I know he's not supposed to really be likable. No, but even then. So anyway, yeah. And then like, also just like, because the movie is so abridged and they're trying to make them a thing, there's so many moments where he's like, 
oh, I'm, I'm jealous of that other dude because because we have a thing. And she's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And the whole time I was like, yeah, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> she has shown no interest in you at, at whatsoever. Um, the one of the government guys looks like an animated J. Jonah Jameson, um, which I found funny. <laughs> um, the whole hallucinating toys, I was just like, Jesus, this is aggressive and terrifying. Um, also, uh, <laughs> and you can't tell if it's hallucination or if it's real, like, cause there's real repercussions and like physical harm, but then they just disappear. And so I'm like, what is going on? It's also really funny if you watch Code Lyoko before this, because I think there's a very pointed homage to like, because there's an episode a very, I think the first, one of the first episodes where there is a giant teddy bear and it literally looks just like this. So watching Akira, I had that Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> meme of like pointing at the TV of just like, there, look, there it is. <laughs> All right, gross, disgusting man who made me watch this crazy ass movie. Do you have any other notes on Akira? Because I don't. <laughs> no, I'm good. Okay, then I say we move on to our Rejector Renew Infinity Trip. All right, which brings us to the meat and potatoes. Oh, my God. Remember when I used to say that? Uh, the meat and potatoes of this episode. <laughs> it's like I did do that for a while, and then I just stopped. Is um, it? It almost feels like, it almost feels like bef- Akira was the liver and onions, and this is the Oreos. Oh. Like. Be nice like, to Akira. <laughs> I don't have to. I really don't. <laughs> toxic masculine bullshit (laughs) i'm not saying be nice to the story or the characters um (laughs) but um okay so now we're going to talk about our reject or renew winner from march since we took that uh break in april so in case you're not familiar uh reject or renew is our monthly tv review segment where at the end of each month, uh, we will vote on five possible picks for our next TV show to talk about. The winner at the end of March was Infinity Train. So now we're going to be talking about Infinity Train and how this typically goes is we have an episode guide where we go back and forth, machine gun, uh, summarizing every episode in the season and then giving a brief, you know, what we thought about it. Then after that, uh, we talk about, you know, most and least valuable characters, uh, highest and lowest rated episodes, and then any lingering thoughts. And then we decide whether we reject or renew the show. With with Infinity Train, it's a little bit different uh, because, you know, there's 10 episodes and they're 11 minutes long. (laughs) So the need for an episode guide is kind of arbitrary especially when you take into account that each episode of infinity train like it's not really completely like episodic and like standalone the way that some other cartoons are where you do not have to watch this episode that came right before it to watch this current episode with infinity train you have to go in chronological order because it does not do recaps it's you know, just basically tells one long story over the, over the course of 10 episodes. So we're probably just going to talk about it as a whole um, because each episode is just the next chapter in the story. So 
Uh, yeah, we're going to do that. And since I took the story in Akira, I'm going to let Trev Bev, Mr. Trevor Lee Beverly, take the story uh, description for Infinity Train, if you would, sir. Jeez, you put me on the spot there. I didn't know I was supposed to be doing this. Okay, cool. <laughs> All right, so um, <laughs> it's even funnier because uh, I did this and then we lost the recording. So, um, <laughs> so yeah. So anyway, um, ten episodes, real quick. Um, so essentially, uh, you have this character Tulip. She's this young girl, this young redheaded girl living in uh, like just north of St. Paul, Minnesota, um, kind of rurally area. Um, she's a coding, you know, coding geek. She tries to make her own video games, um, and it's clear that she has some like good friends, but not a lot of friends. Like she's not that kind of child. Um, but her parents are divorced, and they're very recently divorced. They're still figuring out how to like share custody or who gets to do what for Tulip. And Tulip is supposed to go to this coding camp in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, which is about 300 miles away. Uh, but her dad mixed up the dates. He was he's out of town and her mom has a sh- t- like double shifts at the hospital. So they have completely broken like Tulip's heart um, in that this is like the one thing she was looking forward to for months. It's the one thing that like amongst all the other shit that she's been going through that she was really wanted to do and they can't do it for her. And it's an honest mistake. That's like the heartbreaking thing about this whole dynamic is that like the parents are really trying, they really fucked up and they can't change it, but they're not, they're not flippant about it. And Tulip is not like a petulant child. Like this is like legitimately heartbreaking and you understand where Tulip is coming from. Um, So anyway, in her like fit of being upset, she ends up deciding to run away and go to the camp herself. She's going to walk it, which is not rational, but whatever. Um, It's still snowy outside. And it, in her grief, she, goes into the woods and finds a random train station. And the train says it's going to Oshkosh. So she gets on and it turns out that she's transported to essentially another dimension, which is the infinity train dimension. It's this endless train full of these like skyscraper, big blocky skyscraper esque um, cars that are interconnected in this kind of wasteland place. And each car is its own little world. They all have like themes or different rules of like engagement within each of the cars um, and it's like this very deserted, uh, area around the train. Can't see the front, can't see the back. Um, and like, there's these creatures who are like half cockroach, half dog who occupy that space. So they deter people from leaving the train. Um, she ends up at first in like a snowy woodsy car. So she doesn't think she's in the train. She meets this little ball robot with tiny little legs. He's adorable. Um, and his name is one, one. Um, he's actually two entities. He can split in half and walk on each half. Um, and there's a happy half and a sad half. It's almost like, uh, like, uh, and it's a British accent. Um, so it's almost like you get a super chipper one on one side and like the robot from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy on the other. And they're constantly playing off each other. It's very fun. Um, originally Tulip tries to leave the train. She gets chased by the roach dogs back onto the train and she discovers that she's got this little, number on her hand it's like digitally imposed onto her skin um that she doesn't know the meaning of but so she's like okay well if i can just find someone else on this train like the conductor i can figure out how to get off this train because i'm clearly not in my own world and i'm not on my way to oshkosh so they go through several other trains together they become companions tulip and one one um and essentially uh she is just going from train to train eventually her number does go down Um, as she kind of goes through these 
you know, hurdles. She meets the cat, who's just a cat with a vest, um, who's kind of this dubious, like, trickster character who uh, tricks her into giving up one one in collateral for like an em- an embass uh, like an uh, emissary to the conductor. So this is the cat ends up tricking her uh, and wants to take one one who apparently has some value on this train to the conductor. She ends up stopping the cat and thwarting the cat. The cat goes away for a little bit and they keep trekking on. They meet Atticus, who's a corgi, the king of Corginia, uh, which is one of the cars. It's like this Greek uh, corgi society. She helps Atticus with their problem, which is that certain parts of their train are not working the way they should. The water's overflowing or things are disappearing. uh, And so she helps him. And they find out that the thing that's interfering with it is this thing called the steward, which is essentially just a creepy mask with a bunch of like tentacles, like like uh, like techno- technological tentacles like Doc Ock, who is messing with the materials that create the environments in each truck, in each uh, in each cart. Um, and so they fight this thing. Uh, Atticus decides to join on her journey. They go through a couple different situations in which Tulip is forced to, like, reckon with her past and her background. There's this crystal car where she has to, like, reconnect with her joy in order to move on to the next part. Um, There is, uh, they go to the house of the cat where they, uh, where she gets sucked into a television tape. Um, Essentially, anybody who watches this tape gets sucked into them uh, and they are, made for each passenger on the train. It holds each passenger's memories. So she's sucked into her own memories. She has to reconcile with how she misremembers good times and bad times with her parents. She eventually escapes the cat one more time. Um, eventually they go into like, there's another point where one one is really upset that one of the train cars is not working properly, even though everyone living in it thinks it's fine. And he actually causes some chaos by trying to fix things that don't need fixing. Um, And he's kind of like has this impulse to do it. So, you know, he's like connected to the train somehow. Um, They go to this mirror, uh, this chrome cart where uh, Tulip meets her reflection, who's actually a separate entity uh, who's like upset with her and tries to steal her life. She eventually sets the reflection free and they make peace. Um, And eventually they get to uh, kind of the pre-climax where they run into the conductor quote unquote conductor, who's this robot woman kind of uh, entity who uh, commands the steward and they have this fight with them over Tulip, you know, getting this far on the train and being a pest. Uh, the conductor turns Atticus into one of the roach dogs um, in like retaliation, but Tulip kind of has her emotional epiphany. Her number goes down to zero on her hand and she's able to leave. She decides to not leave right away and rescue Atticus by reverse engineering the thing that turned him into a into a roach dog. Um, they make their way through the cars. They eventually discover the past of the quote unquote conductor that she's not really the conductor. She was another passenger who took over the train and adopted this robot uh, suit to reconstruct her life in her grief. The same grief that led Tulip to the train. Uh, she is avoiding her grief, this this conductor whose name is Amelia, um, in order to read the life she had with her husband. Um, and they were both like te- technological coder people as well. Um, eventually, there's a final fight where Tulip uh, overcomes Amelia. And basically, Amelia is like, I'm cursed to be here. This is this was all I could do. Why would you rob this of me? And Tulip kind of says, you know, you can still work at it. You can get out of here. You can live life again. Um, Tulip uh, eventually gets off the train. We find out that 1-1 was the original conductor who Amelia removed. Atticus is fixed and Tulip leaves the train. And it's unclear because there's three more seasons. 
if Tulip is going to come back to the train? Is she going to be the new kind of connection to the world? Um, you know, what's going to happen? Is Mirror Tulip going to be our new main character? Uh, we don't really know because her original arc of grief is kind of done. And so it's interesting to see like what's going to happen next. And I left out a lot of little like thematic things or how she copes with her parents' divorce and things like that that we'll talk about. Um, but that's the basic plot of the first arc of this show. Sounds about right. So yeah, yeah. Your first uh, first reactions to the overall story. Any notes that any notes that you want to capitalize on before I go back to certain things? Um, I will say I think the story is overall not surprising, but good. No. Um, there was one little hiccup for me personally. Uh, where I kind of mixed up uh, Ulrich and Amelia for half a sec in the I, they past do, I think they car. deliberately do that. I think they deliberately do that. Okay. They want you to think it's Ulrich, and it's truly Amelia. Ulrich is her husband who dies. But okay. you can't tell who's... You can't tell until Amelia literally steps on the train in the memory that it's her who's doing it, not him. Because it, it appears that Amelia may, might have been the one who died. Gotcha. Okay, I didn't know if that was like a me thing of like, oh wait, did I did? Oh no, that was intentional. <laughs> that was okay. definitely intentional. Um, other than and that, I think I the think reason most... you think that the reason they do that is because Ulrich is the more technology guy, and so it it seems more plausible that he's the one until it's revealed that it's actually Amelia. Well, honestly, the only reason I even like because they literally like he does the voice, <laughs> like it's his right. Voice. Yeah, he does a robot <laughs> voice as a joke. <laughs> In a scene where where she proposes to him, um, which was very nice and refreshing. Um, yeah. Um, but any of my other stuff kind of fits in. Any of my other stuff kind of fits in with um, you know stuff we're gonna do later. And there's kind of one thing in particular that I'm gonna point out, but that kind of makes more sense to do after yours. Yeah. So I mean, I, I'm kind of gonna just hop car to car like the show does, and. And talk about characters here and there based on because I did write up an episode like note guide for myself, but um, mm. that was just more or less to keep track. I've also watched this twice. When we first got it back in March, um, we didn't know that we were going to break for April. And so I watched a good chunk of it because um, I was like, I just really like this. I want to keep going. And they're so short that it was very easy on a poor day to get through a lot of them. So I did out of impatience, finish it once and then rewatch it. So I might have caught more things having watched it twice. Um, but I think that the concept is very unique. Like I haven't seen, I, you know, maybe the story, you know, go plays out in a very predictable way, but I do think the concept is unique. And I do think they, they take the ability to do a different thing in every car very seriously. And they have a lot of fun with it. There are literally cars where it's like, there's the monster mash where it's literally like, they're not playing the song, but it's monsters mashing. There is a car. There's a bunch of sight gags where like at the beginning of an episode, they'll walk out of their previous car of like a spa or they were like in Italy, but everyone's heads are tulips and or roses or something. Um, and they have these moments where they're telling this Rose lady, like, mm, I know you're going to make the best pasta ever and your store is going to work. And I'm like, I love those details. Um, there's a sight gag where they're like, we'll never forget you. And it's a bunch of Tyrannosaurus Rexes playing baseball. And then they close the door and they go, what was that guy's name? They're like, I already forgot. Like, it's it's very funny and they have a lot of fun with it. There's a moment where they go through 
uh, a like kind of cavern full of these like gnomes who are just a gnome hat, eyes, and mustaches. Um, and then they don't want to wake them up, and then they accidentally wake them up. And the only thing that the gnomes say as they blast them is spells, 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 spells. And I just laughed so hard at that. There's this character called Randall, who's only in one episode, who's essentially just a New Zealand-speaking uh, like water blob who can multiply himself and talk to himself when he's bored. He's adorable. I love him. I want more Randall all the time. Uh, you know, there's a, in the crystal car when they have to, uh, when they have to sing a song to move on to the next part, there's this, just this uh, guy who's made of crystal and he can't really move very well, but he's got a mustache printed on him and a little hat made of crystal and he's adorable and he can't speak and he's trying to communicate and in order to get him to sing he's like he puts his hands in front of his mouth and goes uh uh kind of like uh when uh no face <laughs> tries to communicate um and it's just a lot of like <laughs> cute fun fun things like that there's a character called khaki bottoms who is like a a ragdoll rabbit in a play place, uh, like a McDonald's play place cart. Um, and his voice is just fun. And they do this whole little mini quest of uh, doing these very simple puzzles in this play place for the sake of everybody playing along. And so it's like, it's very cute in that way. And very, and they just get to, they can do whatever they want. And it's super unique. Um, but then on the flip side, Tulip's story is very emotionally grounded. Like the things she has to deal with are very real. The way that, they come up in the way her parents are characterized and the way the emotion comes through is very real. You do sympathize to a certain extent with Amelia after just one episode of learning her backstory. I think that like, you know, for as much little fun bits as they do and little quips they do, it's very grounded. And I like that. Um, and also just the characters are funny. I think one, one is probably the funniest character in the whole thing, mostly because of the happy, sad dynamic, but also just like, they have they give them plenty like Gene Belcher esque lines where like unless you watch it a second time you're gonna forget it but you're gonna laugh in the moment every time like the that turkey is our mom now that is very much one one's role in the comedy of this like there's a moment in the first episode where the sad one uh, tulips like what's in the next car and the sad one goes I don't know probably disappointing and then they open it and it's kind of a white void and he goes told you and then they just keep going um, or on the flip side the happy one when they're being chased by uh, by the roach dogs is he does the yakety sax and she's like what is that he's like it's a song I made up it's like there's a lot of really fun cute stuff like that and the villain is actually scary I think that the 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 um the face with the tentacles the the uh, steward is terrifying that's a terrifying villain who can shoot lasers out of their eyes like they make it actually scary there's so much going on that I really like with this show That's so good yeah for you oh sorry bud <laughs> <Not kidding. laughs> we always get to this point we always get to this point <laughs> no i can't i'm kidding <laughs> also ben also ben mendelson's in it for one episode ben mendelson oh, yeah. plays a, a reflection cop when she's oh, when she's uh, when her reflection breaks out and traps tulip in the mirror they ha they say uh, the the other mirror characters are like the authorities will be here soon and the the reflection goes you called the flex on me like reflections and meaning the fuzz it's just clever and then Ben Mendelsohn plays one of them it's great I'd love to see more of him <laughs> he started talking and for like the first handful of sentences he was saying I was just so distracted because I was like 
Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> Database processing. Ben Mendelsohn. <laughs> yep. And it's one of those moments where, um, like, I couldn't tell if it was somebody doing Ben Mendelsohn or if it was him. And I looked it up and it was him. Oh, yeah. Um, that's not, that is only one of many, like, you're that person, aren't you? And then I look and I was like, okay, okay. Um, yeah, the voice actor is like, I'm pretty sure Atticus is a big voice actor. Ernie Hudson. Yeah. Uh, which is now like <laughs> between man, between Mandalorian and no, no, Ernie Hudson is the Ghostbuster. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I had him mixed up with, um, uh, now I'm blanking on the guy that Carl played, Weathers. Um, yes. Yes. I don't know why I've mixed those two up of all people, but, um, so uh, my big uh, voice moment, it consumed me. It absolutely consumed my entire brain when the cat showed up because you won't care about this, Trev, so you can just tune me out. But cool. Like for anyone that plays Dragon Age, it was just like, wait a minute. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Is that Flemeth? <laughs> And it was just like, holy shit, it is Flemeth. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, 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 is the is Flemeth going to double cut? Is Flemeth up to something? Oh, gee, I wonder. <laughs> like, that's one of those things where, like, I know this voice actress so well from another thing that the fact that they're playing a similar type of character here just was like, no. No, you're not even going to try and fool me here. She is up to something. <laughs> oh, God. It was so great. And I was just like, oh, my God. I lo-, Because her voice is amazing. And it's very distinct. So as soon as the cat opened her mouth, I was like, oh, my God. It's Flemeth. <laughs> anyway. Um, but, yeah. And so- there's also, like, plenty of, like, running gags in that way where, like, I find it funny that the cat and Atticus are always, like, Tulip's like, you're not going to help me? And they're always like, I don't have thumbs. Nobody has thumbs but Tulip. And it's those moments <laughs> where it's like, you know. And the cat gets to be the cat for a little bit, like, reacts to things in the way a cat would. Um, and, like, Atticus is like, you know, I, I want you to help me, but just so you know, you have to carry me, but I will not like it. I'm a proud I'm a proud corgi. And so the whole time he gets picked up or, like, anytime they go through a door they're like, you want to go through the door? And Atticus is like, no, yes, no, yes, no. Do I want to go? Yeah, 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 I want to go outside. Like, just things like that, where it's just like, it's, it's cute, and I like it. Yeah. Um, my biggest thing with Infinity Train is really, like, the one thing I have to harp on. Like, kind of how with Akira, I was always circling back to, like, yeah, but in the manga, like the way the thing I have with Infinity Train is I'm just so befuddled. I'm so baffled. I'm like, why is this 11 minutes? Yeah, I get that. Like, could be 30. Yeah, like, just, I mean, there are so many moments that seem like they should be big and grand. And like, like the first time you see the infinity train, it feels like it should be this moment, right? It should be like this big, like the music swells and the camera zooms out and it kind of keeps zooming out and you get a real sense of like, holy shit. Oh, it's an infinity train. Okay. Yeah. 
but like, really, what ends up happening is that like you see the train for like a second, and then we keep going, and I'm like, what? Jesus! Like, I kept feeling the shortness of the episodes in every episode because you could mm-hmm. not linger on anything. You couldn't have a genuine like moment with anything. It had to just be like move, 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 move. Yeah, the and, most we linger with anything are the flashbacks. Yeah. And I mean, that's because like the entire episode is about this. So like it gets the luxury of having like, you know, basically eight minutes out of like the 11 to tell its story. And it has no like real introduction of new characters or anything like that. So it's like, yeah, that makes sense. But it's like for for me, this gives me a lot of regular show vibes. And that is a good thing because, like, I do like the regular show. Um, But regular show really lends itself to being 11 minutes because it's a problem of the week, like, you know, comedy thing where everything... Yeah, like Spongebob. Well, kind yeah, it's... Spongebob episodes are 10 minutes. Yeah, but it's like, Spongebob is like, essentially like, old-fashioned, like, vaudeville comedy kind of thing. Mm. Whereas, regular show was like, they start off with a very mundane, basic problem, and then it just escalates to the point of, like, parody. It is basically the point of parody. Um... And that's the whole point of regular show is that, like, you take this very, very ordinary premise, like, oh, my God, we're going to be late. And then all of a sudden the entire universe is at stake by, like, five minutes in. (laughs) So it's just like, what the fuck? But, like, those kinds of things do lend itself a little bit more to, like, 11 minutes because it's a lot more absurd. So it's not really supposed to be... Like, you're not really supposed to take it seriously, is the thing. Um, it was never really meant to be taken seriously. Infinity Train, you kind of, even if it's not, if it doesn't really care if you take it, ser- it seriously, you should. You really should take it seriously. <laughs> like, because it's a, it's a good story that's told really authentically and very sincerely. And so that's when sometimes 11-minute episodes can kind of get in the way of, like, you know, me really being interested in a world, for instance, or me being, like, you know, getting really interested in certain characters because, like, in a 22-minute epi- uh, minute long episode, it's like you have time to breathe. You have time to, like, you know, oh, let's explore this, and let's explore this aspect of the culture of this train of this train car, or, you know, what's over there? And, like, you get to, like, build, you know, tension in different ways. Here, it's very plot-focused. And this is a case where, like, the plot and the story are kind of the same. They're, one in the, they're kind of inextricably linked, so... Like, you you have to, like, do things really quickly, very punchily. Uh, you have to kind of just want to like characters, and then you will like characters. Like, yeah, I think it's not really an accident that one of the characters that's supposed to be the most beloved is a fucking corgi. Like, 
they want you to want to like this character. <laughs> so, hey, how about we make it one of the most adorable animals in existence? <laughs> Maybe that would help. Um, but it just seems like, it seems weird. It seems arbitrary of like, I don't know why you did this. I don't know whose decision this was. I don't know why it had to be 11 minute episodes. Because I think you can still keep 10. I don't think you have to go longer or shorter amount of episodes, but just take more time in each episode is really all I'm really all I'm asking. Yeah, um, I get that. Because yeah, because all the stuff that's here is really interesting. Each car is really interesting. I don't think there was a car that like I don't think there was a car that really I could do without. Like, every car had something that was... I think maybe, maybe kind of the lowest point for me was maybe the singing one. Maybe. But that's just because... Yeah, that was probably the low. I mean, it's like the one where they're visually not really doing much of anything. I think that's really mm-hmm. the only reason. Um, And there are honestly very few episodes where they only stay in one car. Like, there's only three of the episodes where they only do one car. Yeah. No, four. No, I'm sorry. No, actually, yeah, I'm wrong. It's about half the season. Um, but yeah, I think I think that like what what to to their benefit as well as to their detriment um, that they do have to be very economic about the things they do try to cover, which I think they pull off. I think that's why it still is good despite that problem. Because I think you and I agree. Like, yeah, it left me wanting more. I think there's a world in which if you're going to do ten minute episodes, I almost don't want her to get to the end in the first season. Um, you know, I would actually yeah. rather do like a mid do like a middle point and be like or just say that the first 30 episodes are or the first 20 episodes of the first season. Um, you know, I would rather get more stuff. I, I think there's a world in which there's there's more allies for them to meet, which I think is the point of the future seasons. As you learn, they get more of a crew. Um, and so, you know, there's. There's a lot of those kinds of things where it's like, yeah, I could see them doing it differently. But what they do choose to do, they do it very efficiently. Um, you know, I think that the the way, despite there being a couple moments of Tulip being like, everybody being like, what's up, Tulip? And she's just like, ah, here's what I'm upset about. Um, that kind of just jumped to the point. There's other ones where like the episode where Tulip gets sucked into her own tape and has to deal with her memories is brilliant because she misremembers things. She misremembers the times before their divorce as beautiful and, you know, really positive moments where her family was whole. And then she remembers her moments of divorce and after divorce with like their faces literally turned into demons. And when they tell her, it's like, it's all your fault. We got divorced. And she has to have a moment where it's like, no, let me go back. And she remembers exactly what the original memory was. She had the positive memory of like going to a sea world kind of place. And it was like amazing. And then she really remembers it. And it's like, the animals were suffering and it was kind of boring and my parents were fighting the whole time. So it's like, and then also like a positive memory of post-divorce of like, my dad still loves me and still cares about me and I care about him and it's not my fault. And so it's really interesting how they use the idea of twisting up our own memories to give her that growth on top of like using the concept of like, with one 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 is kind of having that conniption about fixing the world about how it's like you don't have to fix everything it's not your fault and that helps her 
guide guide her as well while he is he is basically being like i have this impulse that it's something i must do and something i must fix and you can't because people are adapting and moving on either way and i also really just like the i it's found it interesting how the turtles in this incomplete car have adapted to the chaos and are living with it and i think it's a really great lesson um and then also like the way that she grows when she meets mirror herself is that she gets called out by the very person who knows her best herself the mirror, her mirror self that's been with her always, it has to go where she goes, always complaining about how it's like, we never go anywhere. You just sit at home and play your game and make your game because you're upset and you don't know how to cope with it. And so, like, I think that very sneakily to probably kids, a little bit more easily understandable for adults, it creates those those back entryways to her processing everything. And I like it a lot. Yeah. You know, growth hurts is kind of one of the things that I think I take away from this is that growth hurts. And when you run away from it, like Amelia is doing, you only cause more harm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think for me, my main thing is that the show has a very good problem in that I just want more from each episode, which is why like, well, it's not even that I want more. It's that like, Certain moments deserve certain amounts of weight, and you can't do that yeah. when your episodes are 11 minutes long. So, like, honestly, even if the episodes are, like, 15 minutes, like, even if you just tacked on, like, four more, I think that would be enough in and of itself. Um, But, I mean, the other thing is not a fault of the show at all. The other thing is that, like, I mean, it's very clearly a kid show. Like, that's the only other thing. Is it like, well, yeah, you kind of have to at least acknowledge, you have to at least address the elephant in the room, which is just like, yeah, I watched this and some things are very plainly stated in a way that's like, oh yeah, this is for kids. <laughs> it's just like, oh yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. And I'm brought back to like, oh, my age. Um, <laughs> And, like, again, like you mentioned, uh, certain things for adults are kind of, yeah, I can kind of see this coming, or I know where this is headed, or, you know, I get the vibe of where the story is headed. But, honestly, I can't authentically say how I would have uh, thought about the show as a kid, or, like, as a member of the target demographic. Um, I think I would have liked it. Um, but then again, this is not like the shows that we had not in the sense of tone, but like in the sense of every episode, you have to watch every episode in order. Like mm -hmm. we really had a lot of like disconnected episodes where you could really jump around. Yeah. Um, like the golden age of television hadn't really caught up to cartoons yet. Like the closest you get to that is like teen Titans. And even then they'll do a story for like three episode arcs and then they'll bring Tara back in for a hot second, then let her go away. So, like, you know, you do still hop around a little bit on those certain storylines. Yeah. Or, like, Robin's relationship with with Slade. Like, you know, it's... There's a lot of hopping around in those instances as well. So, like, yeah, the kind of interconnectivity that we see with adult television, quote-unquote, it didn't really turn up in cartoons by the time... When we were younger. Mm-hmm. So that's really all I have. Overall, I thought it was very good for the target demographic specifically. Like, 
I think this is a very good, very good challenging show for kids. I like mm-hmm. that it doesn't really pull punches. I like that it doesn't seem to talk down. Um, and it's authentic in what it's talking about. It doesn't mince words. And it's very clever in how it does certain things. Whereas, yeah, as an adult, I see it coming. But as a kid, you know, this could be the thing that does help somebody genuinely identify certain things about their lives. And more importantly, it's just, yeah, it gets to be creative. It gets to be interesting and funny and genuinely scary. And yeah, it's pretty rad. Um, All right. So, Standby questions? Huh? The top favorite. Oh, okay. Favorite MVP. <laughs> I figured that was what you were talking about, but I'm like, yes. I don't know if we ever called it that. Uh, I listen to other I listen to other podcasts who do the same thing, and they're like, our standby questions for the end of the episode are blah, blah, blah. Oh, gotcha. Uh, so, yes. Uh, would you like to start with most or least valuable character? Uh, let's start with least valuable character, because I think you're going to be surprised by mine. Um... Do you go first? I don't know if I have a least valuable character because every character has a function. Every character is like, yeah, you're this because you're supposed to do that. Any kind of annoying character is kind of supposed to be annoying. Every, you know, righteous character is supposed to be righteous. Like, you know, that kind of thing. So, uh... I don't know. I don't think I I don't think I have one. Okay. You want to hear mine? Is it Tulip? It's Atticus. And here's why. I was thinking about this. I don't I don't make I don't make the decision on these most of the time until we are <laughs> mid-recording so I can kind of suss out my thoughts. Um cuz I like Atticus. Like that's the thing is that I'm with you. There's very few characters. First of all, there's very few characters. And so to say that one is not valuable in this short of a time frame, it, it, it's hard to do. But I think that the reason I think Atticus is the least valuable character is that you could replace him with a variety of other characters that we see throughout the show. And I don't think the story changes. I don't think Atticus, beyond some noble words, maybe once, ever gives Tulip what she needs beyond companionship. Um, like, you know, one, one obviously has that exchange in that one specific episode that's about him and the cat creates conflict and opens her to the world of the tapes. Um, but Atticus is kind of just a member of the gang in a way that I don't necessarily find entirely satisfactory. Um, still like him, but I think if I had to say who's actually not that valuable and could have been changed for something else or even if he was only in part of the season and left to do his own thing uh it would have been him so my most valuable character is atticus (laughs) because i love him he's perfect and also how dare you (laughs) okay you can think he's perfect I think you. I think you know who's you know gonna what? be my most valuable. You know what? Th- you know what this is. This is just the revert. This is just the inverse of the of the of the Grogu situation all over again. <laughs> this is exactly this. Yeah. 
I will give you Grogu level love on Atticus. That's fine. I'm not going to hold that against you. No, but I'm saying like it works both ways. So now you kind of get the sense of like how I was feeling about Grogu in the sense of like, I mean, he just doesn't. There's not he like get past the cute shit and like what is there? There's just that's it. <laughs> I'm like he does he doesn't do anything but make shit worse, and he's like a little shit that fucking eats whole like fucking almost extinct races. <laughs> all right, all right, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. The difference here is that when you didn't like Grogu, you thought everyone was going to kill you. Whereas if I don't like Atticus, I I get it. But so, yeah, honestly, I really liked Atticus from like the get go. I didn't know he was going to stay for like the rest of the show. So I was just like, oh, that's nice. Like, oh, okay, that's a nice, neat little. And then because I know how stories work. The second that they were like, oh, I'm so happy you're here, Atticus. I'm happy to be here. And she's like, you know, you can leave. And he's like, no, I would like to stay here. I'm like, they're going to fucking kill. (laughs) No, go, Atticus. They're going to fucking use you for emotional weight. They're going to use you. (laughs) I know how stories work, you fuckers. And it's a dog. No dog is safe in stories like these. <laughs> uh, but yeah. I'm really curious if 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 Tulip is not our main character going forward, um, if if he's gonna show up again. One one as well. Like I really truly don't know who's gonna show up again. If I Tulip think is especially one one will probably make cameos. Yeah. Um, but that'd be super interesting if it was every single season, new group of people. And I think that based on what I saw in like the IMDb, there's supposed to be more humans like teaming up. So hmm. um, maybe they'll deal with other problems like, uh, you know, interpersonal problems with the people who are actually on the train. Who knows? Uh, we're on to episodes now. Uh, I mean, you can do episodes if you want, because for the most part, I mean, I can for I can kind of say lowest and highest, but for the most part, the episodes were very even in terms of like quality. I've already kind of well. Mm-hmm. Well, first off, you never said your most valuable character. Is it just one one? Yeah, it's one one. Okay. Yeah, you're right. All right. So he's just again. He's <laughs> he's a humor that he's a humor that works for the show. Um, I mean, I'm kind of spoiled because if you play Portal Two, you kind of. You kind of get one one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that's true. That's definitely what it is. Only only Portal, I mean, obviously Portal's snark here. Yeah, so episodes. Um, I think we both agree that the Crystal the crystal Cart episode is the least valuable. Yeah, just because it's like, you know, they kind of just sit there. Also, I can't tell you how weird it is of all of the songs in existence to pick Word Up by Cameo. Yeah. It's just a thing of like, that has a little too much history with me as just a black (laughs) person. Like, it's just like, so the entire time I'm listening to this, the entire time I'm looking at this, I'm imagining this 
family of very white Minnesotans dancing and singing along to this song, and I'm just imagining the guy from Cameo with his black getup and then his bright red codpiece. And it's just weird. The whole thing is weird. I was just like... I wasn't even I wasn't even bothered by it being like not necessarily like a sad or very emotional song. I was fine with the premise of like no it has to be emotional to you. But like I'm like why word up? <laughs> Just the most random song. It's like it's like it's like saying, "Oh yeah, the song, the really emotional song for me is all about that bass by Megan Trainer. And I'm just like, why? Why? Yeah, that is the white equivalent. I don't know if it's the white equivalent, but like, it's just as much of a left field, like, wait, 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 go back. Don't, don't move on like that wasn't weird. Actually, I will say I I don't even know if they remember this, but I certainly do. There was a I used to go where where I ended up spending my later high school years was a vacation spot for most of my life because I had cousins who lived there before we moved there. And there would always be like one of those jokes that just goes on forever that that week when you're visiting and shake that Laffy Taffy was one of them. (laughs) And so there's that. So it's plausible. But it was also because we learned what tilapia is. And so instead of Laffy Taffy, we said tilapia. It was shake that tilapia. God, that's funny. Because I used I used to eat yep. tilapia like every week. <laughs> yeah, I stopped eating tilapia when I learned what they what they feed them. So. <laughs> oh, my God. So, I mean, yeah, poop. I guess technically the crystal one is it's the low. <laughs> Uh, I guess the crystal one is the low one. I I guess just from process of elimination, maybe the corgi one is the high one for me. Just because I thought Atticus was a good character. I thought the dog jokes were just especially, like, funny. Like, as a dog owner, as just, like, a dog lover, it's just like, yeah, there's just a lot of jokes that I just genuinely like. It was the introduction of the, like, you want to go outside? Wanna go say no? Wait, uh, no, 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 I, I, no. It's just like, I was just like, that's okay, all right, uh, uh, uh okay. <laughs> I can get on board with this. <laughs> um, I would say my top-rated episode is probably the I forget the name name of it, the cat's car where where she goes into her past. Yeah, because I, I think the way that. they do like the misremembering memories is probably the 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 best execution of of her emotional state the entire run but that that being said like you said everything's very consistent and evenly good um yeah. despite the lack of the length of the episodes so i'm ready to i'm ready to close it i don't have any other analysis i'm ready to, to yeah we're both you know, renewing throw my obvious preference yeah we're both renewing <laughs> um it's just an, an obvious an obvious thing. I would love to continue the show and see where it goes. And it's the first of all the shows where it's, I really have no idea where it's going. I have no opposite no, clue. Obviously friends, fresh friends, we know. And then Buffy's the only other one we've done that, you know, doesn't have a cap now. Um, 
where I vaguely know how some characters end up. So I'm like, and I know that some characters don't change. So I'm like, all right, let's do more Infinity Train. Which means... Oh, God. <laughs> Trev hates when I do Lynn. this. It's time for the reject or renew draft, baby. Yeah! <laughs> it's everyone's favorite time of the month. So, on our site, and it's also posted on our Instagram, at uh, redteampod, uh, and our website is redteampod.com. We will also cover that at the end of the, you know, as with the usual stuff. Uh, there is a nice long list of 60 shows divided into three categories. Comedy, drama slash action, and animated. Every month at the end of our Reject or Renew segment where we review whatever show won last month, we draft five shows to be randomly selected for our next month's TV show review. The We do one random pick from each category, again, that being one random comedy, one random drama slash action, and one random animated show. Uh, we have a fan vote on our website, redteampod.com, where you can vote on what shows you would like us to review. Whatever show has the most votes will take up two spots on our uh, virtual six-sided day. Uh, and our last spot goes to any show that we have already uh, started that, you know, we could potentially have repeats. So if Infinity Train wins our fan vote, it could also be randomly selected to be the one that we continue, and it could end up having three possible chances of getting picked. Oh, boy. So, so yes, uh, if you don't understand, it will hopefully become very clear once we start here. I am going to now roll the virtual 20-sided die, and it is on 11. And let me just uh, pull up our lovely list here to see what the 11th show is. Number 11 for comedy is, oh my god, it's Shit's Creek. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the prophesied one. <laughs> oh, so many people. So many people have been referencing this fucking show. <laughs> have you oh, watched God. it? No, I have no idea. I've thankfully, I've thankfully avoided so many potential spoilers, especially with Molly. <laughs> TJ. TJ, you've been avoiding... This television show. All right, I'm not gonna. And you don't get that reference, so I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna ask. <laughs> I'm not gonna ask. <laughs> so. It's the way. It's the way. It's just literally just the way Catherine O'Hara's character speaks. Uh, um, and it's legendary. Uh, <laughs> so that is our random pick for comedy. Our random pick, uh, for drama slash action will be five going up on the thing. Oh my God! It's Firefly. <laughs> <laughs> we are going through all the hits so far. <laughs> For those unfamiliar, uh, Firefly has been... Firefly has been on here all the time. 
like the fans when they have started voting, they are like get fireflies, <laughs> do firefly, and it always kind of gets out. It usually gets outvoted <laughs> by something else. Uh, there was one time that like uh, it became the fan vote, but oh my god, could you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> Finally getting done with Firefly. All right, so that's our drama slash action. Our random pick for animated is number 16, which is DuckTales. Ooh. DuckTales! We never clarified. Is that the old one or the new one? That is the new one. Okay, all right. That is the new one that I think just ended, actually. Um, Now... Now do do the do the renewed ones because I want to talk about this situation we got going on with uh, with the fan okay. vote. Alrighty, so now we are going to uh, we are going to see which uh, show is up for continuation here. Uh, once again, we have uh, Friends, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and Infinity Train all season two. And, and not Fresh Prince. And not Fresh Prince. Because um, we rejected it last time. Let me see, because... Okay. So now I need to go to a different thing, because before I could just flip a coin, because it was two. Now we have a third, so now I need to... Okay. Just do one, two, three, four, five, six. Like four oh, yeah, and one I can and do same, that. Two and five. <laughs> yeah. All right, so one and two is going to be Friends... Uh, three and four is going to be Buffy, and five and six is going to be Infinity Train, and son of a bitch, it's five. So, Infinity Train All right. is back. <laughs> so, here's the deal. Oh, God. Here's the deal. If the fan vote had been a tie, we could have just split the votes, because there's two votes for the fan vote. It's a three-way tie across the categories. Each category, the top, the top winner has the same amount of votes as the other categories. So, we have to make a decision here. It's the good place, Firefly, and Infinity Train. Here's my thing. I think it would be saucy, no matter what happens, to give Firefly both both votes. Firefly would have three entries, and if it lost, it'd be hilarious. But if it won, <laughs> we would be it to finish Firefly. <laughs> like. Right? It would be very funny. Um, I think that's funny. So, three votes for Firefly. I at least want to float Shit's out Creek. the possibility of, like, we could just do a random, like, site of, like, pick a random number between X and X and give all of them the fan two votes. So, that way, Firefly and Infinity Train get three, but, like good place gets two no that's, that's too much okay just do just do what i suggest it's fine you just and you should leave this in you should leave this <laughs> I in. i will no um... i will uh okay so once again much like i think last time uh i've gone back to the previous page which automatically rolled the virtual dice for me so i'm not looking at my phone but the result is there so Number one is Shit's Creek. Shit's Creek. Two is Firefly. Yes. Three is DuckTales. Yes. Four and five are also Firefly. <laughs> and six is Infinity Train. Yes. And watch Infinity Train get the fucking thing when Firefly has the <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
the moment of truth. And the show we are re- we are watching and reviewing for June 2021 as part of Reject or Renew is <sighs> Shit's Creek. Ah, cool. So Firefly still didn't fucking win. That's great. Firefly I love it. is destined <laughs> to rot in this list with a single season. Firefly I mean, and Cowboy it's, Bebop. <laughs> it's it's fitting. It's fitting that Firefly will sit there forever because that's exactly what happened. Um, God damn it. Also, fuck Joss Whedon. Um, it's just the thing of like so many people reference Firefly and talk about it. And I'm just like, I still haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh. but we're going to go through Shit's Creek. And I think Shit's Creek is going to be interesting because Shit's Creek is definitely one of those things where it's like, oh, these characters have to win you over. Oh, boy. Are we ready for me to potentially yeah, be controversial are... again? <laughs> I don't think it's necessarily controversial. I think it's, I think it's again, I think this is all, I'm actually TJ's therapist. That's what this is. Um, then you have a <laughs> mighty I think it's, I think it's, big you... bill. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's, can you let go of the problems for the sake of what's in the future? You know? Um, no. Anyway, uh, <laughs> no, he can't. That's the problem. Um, no. So, yeah, Akira was fucked up, but Infinity War was fun, and Firefly won't be anytime soon. God damn it. <laughs> Hashtag justice for Firefly. <laughs> I mean, you can still watch it and just take notes for later. No, especially not when now I have to watch Shit's Creek. How many episodes in a season for Shit's Creek? Is it 20-something? Uh, Twelve. 12 and they're no no they're 12 and they're like half hour okay but still like firefly is like 90 like 12 minutes, and 14 oh really I didn't no know that. no no no. i think they're hour i think they're hour long no the only one that's 90 is sherlock i think yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so oh my god next week is my birthday week Woo! Yeah! So we're doing something unique and special and fun. I don't know if Trev will have fun, but I will have fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we hope you enjoyed our uh, month of celebration for Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, where we covered Asian cinema. Uh, we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, I know we were very hard on Akira, <laughs> but... Um, also, we heaped a lot of love and praise on Infinity Train. Uh, and next month, you'll have Shit's Creek to look forward to and see whether or not I hate it. I mean, honestly, like, uh, I can, I feel like we can tease this. June is very much a month of new releases. Like, a lot of stuff that's slated for us is stuff that's, like, coming out on streaming services. Um, like... It's going to be, it's probably going to be the most new releases we've all done at once. And you can probably piece together what those will be based on me saying. That. Yes. But so bear I think with it's, us. you know, yeah, <laughs> but it's not totally decided. There's other things we have to figure out. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, you know, jump on, jump on your subscription services next month. That's all I'll have to say is definitely watch them. We'll, we'll put them out around the times that these things come out, but. Yes. So beware of spoilers. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh Yeah. Until next time, uh, Trev, you got anything else uh, to say pile on on the end of this episode? 
Uh, no. No. Alrighty. Well, until next time, I've been TJ are Patrick. You my, are you my mom? Are you my mom? I, um, I don't know. I was I, late to the I game. Have you asked me if of, I had anything. I would have a lot of explaining to do. <laughs> Uh, yeah <laughs> I've got curly hair anyway uh, I'm Trevor Catalano <laughs> I had a professor no I had a uh, on one of my job interviews the guy leading me to the person who was interviewing me looked at me and went you have black in you and I went no <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not gonna entertain that because I'm like uh, I don't want anybody to think I'm trying to say anything about that but people have asked me so and on that note. <laughs> <laughs> Let's will... end this month with a racially ambiguous statement. <laughs> we will catch you guys next week uh, during my birthday week celebration. One step closer to death. Uh, <laughs> we will catch you guys next time. <laughs>